You know what's crazy? At some point in the not too distant future, people will struggle to remember what life with COVID-19 was like. Seriously, according to the CDC, about 500 million people, that's one third of the world's population, became infected with the Spanish flu about 100 years ago, which really isn't that long ago if you think about it. The death count on that thing was at least 50 million people worldwide, with about 675,000 of those deaths happening in the United States. But until March of this year, most of us were hard-pressed to remember anything about the Spanish flu. Well, we are in our very own pandemic, and thank God it's a lot less lethal than the flu of 1918. And future generations, I'm telling you, will wonder what it was like for us. And we will tell them, as we clutch our martini glasses with our manicured nails and wrinkly old lady hands, and as a side note, I see my old lady self as like a cross between Samantha's mother and Dora in the series Bewitched, her crossed with the sassy, slightly crazy grandmother from Moana. So that's that's the visual I've got for myself. And we will say to our grandchildren, we will say, well, darling, first we panic shopped, and then we cleaned and organized our houses from top to bottom. But what I'm hoping follows that statement is this one. I'm hoping I will be able to tell my grandchildren that the pandemic forced us to re-examine our relationship with our own consciousness or lack thereof. (laughs) Friends, this pandemic is offering us the opportunity of a lifetime to re-examine our relationship with our own thoughts, our own minds. This moment in history is giving us the space and time needed, not just to Marie Kondo our physical closets. It is high time we got our mental house decluttered and organized, because here's what. Before coronavirus, we were too busy to even notice the incessant stream of thinking happening between our ears. We barely had time to pee, let alone sit and bear witness to the thoughts that drive our emotional lives and behaviors. And to be clear, that's exactly what thoughts do. I didn't make this up. This is a central tenant to cognitive behavioral therapy. Thoughts make us feel emotions, which make us act. And that formula works backwards too. The way we act makes us feel things that makes us think things. But right now, the calendars are a hell of a lot clearer. There's nowhere to go, there's no one to visit, and there's no plans to make. And here we are alone with our thoughts. It's just me, myself, and mind, right? Personally, you know, I'm kind of thrilled about this on some level, not all levels, obviously, because it's the perfect opportunity for people to appreciate and work with one of the core aspects of what I do with clients. I teach people to become their most powerful selves and to speak from that place of power. And ground zero for that work is mind. And I'm not trying to tell you that I'm some enlightened being because I'm not. But what I am is aware of the fact that the thoughts we think and the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves determine the way we communicate, the way we function, the way we show up in this life. If we think fearful thoughts, we communicate in fear-based ways. If we think generative, loving thoughts, 
we communicate in generative, loving ways. And as simple as this formula sounds, it's no joke trying to put this into practice. Because most of the time, you're not in control of your thoughts. They are in control of you. I mean, who in their right mind would choose to ruminate and loop on the negative shit we ruminate and loop on? I caught myself the other night looping on the state of my thighs. Yes, my thighs. Can I tell you how not on my priority list my thighs are? I mean, I'm super grateful for, you know, they get me around and they hold me up, but like I have other fish to fry. I got other things I need my intellectual horsepower for. And berating the shape of my legs isn't even on the top 20 list of things I need to think about. And yet, without the skill of redirecting my thoughts, looping on this these thighs would zap all of my emotional energy and mental energy, leaving me totally spent and incapable of doing the shit I actually want to do, like writing and producing this podcast episode about mind, Right. And if we don't cultivate the skill of actively directing our thoughts, they will lead us to a life we had no intention of living. Because having an untrained mind is like having an untrained but adorable puppy that tears up our furniture, pees on our bedspread, eats our expensive shoes, and drives us to the fucking edge of despair. Are you feeling me? That's what it's like. And if you don't believe me, I dare you to listen to the way you talk to yourself mentally. I dare you. Because you would never be friends with somebody that talked to you like that. And yet that is exactly how you talk to yourself. And by you, I mean all of us. It's the human condition (laughs) that I'm convinced it is time to rise above. In fact, I think unless you're an enlightened being, the ratio of destructive thoughts to constructive thoughts is like three to one if you're lucky. And this is a huge problem because who we are and what we do in the world is driven by what we think. Said another way, your thoughts become your destiny. And yet very few of us have been trained to guide our thoughts to higher ground. I mean, it's really fucked up if you think about it. We don't have to live this way, though. We have the power to Marie Kondo these minds, y'all. We have the power to train that puppy to become the sweet, loving companion we want and deserve, frankly. We have the power to learn how to guide our thinking so that these glorious brain machines work for our greater good and the good of others instead of being agents of misery and destruction. And claiming that power begins with one very simple, very powerful concept I like to think of as interrupt and replace. Here's a piece of truth with a capital T. Are you ready? You are not your thoughts. You are the witness of your thoughts. Now, if you've been studying therapy, mindfulness, meditation, you'll be like, yeah, 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 got it. If you haven't been, this is kind of a mind blower because we're convinced that our thoughts are us and they aren't. In fact, if you resist that notion, ask yourself, who is doing the resisting? You are resisting a thought, which means it is separate from you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in a position to resist it because it would be you, right? If that's too high concept, think of it this way. You know you are not the television show you're watching. You know you're the watcher of the television show. And you may get sucked into a story, but you know you can stand up and turn off the show. Same goes for thoughts. And our minds, if left unchecked, are like being consumed in an endless, stressful television show. The most powerful technique you have is to interrupt 
the flow of thoughts. It is to turn off the television show that is stressing you out. And the question is, of course, how? How do we interrupt? Now, how we choose to interrupt is what I think is kind of the fun part. I like to work with mantras or new thoughts to replace the shitty ones. Because I figure, why not fight fire with fire, right? Maybe at some point, I'll be so enlightened that I won't have to use a thought to replace a thought. I'll just be able to like transcend this like vibrating, radiating mass of awesome, but I'm not quite there yet. So I like to choose a new thought to replace the old one. And so what I do is when I catch myself looping or ruminating or beginning a negative thought pattern, I like to say out loud, I don't like this show. Or, I am not at peace. I want to be at peace. And I repeat those things a couple times to just stop the flow of traffic, right? It just interrupts it. So that's the interruption piece. But the second piece is replace. Now, the replace thing is where it gets a little bit more nuanced and complicated. And I find that different techniques work for different thought patterns. So here's an example. I'm going to give you five techniques for replacing. And I find I have to use different ones throughout the day just given circumstances. So my number one strategy I use, usually I have to use it in the morning because that's my creative time, is what I call announcing yourself. Announce yourself. This is shorthand for doing the work that pretty much all great rappers do, which is they announce themselves. They talk about how rad they are. Think about it. Eminem sings Slim Shady, all about how all you other Slim Shadies are just imitating. Jay-Z has Izzo where he introduces himself using his nickname, Hova, which is short for Jehovah, meaning God, because Jay-Z figures himself to be the God of rap. And who am I to disagree with that? Anyway, he says, H to the Izzo, V to the Izze. That's the anthem. Get your damn hands up. Right? It's a vibe. He's asserting his awesome onto the listener in a very pleasant, delightful way. Well, Prince has the same kind of vibe that he ran in the 90s on this awesome song called My Name is Prince. And remember, that's when he changed his name to a symbol because he could not with the baggage of his own name, which is its own podcast episode. But I love that song because he says, my name is Prince and I am funky. That's how he introduces himself. And my favorite part of the song is when he says, in the beginning, God made the sea. But on the seventh day, he made me. He was trying to rest, y'all, when he heard the sound. Sound like a guitar. Uh, cold getting down. I mean, it is the best. And by the time you're done listening to it, you're like, yeah, his name is Prince and he is funky. And I'm going to listen to this whole album because I'm here for it. Right? The point is, I announce myself. When my mind is serving up thoughts of fear or intimidation or avoidance, because that is what my mind does when I have creative work to do. So I sit down on my meditation pillow or I sit in my chair, my throne with my coffee in the morning and I say to myself, my name is Bronwyn and I am funky and I'm about to bring some magic up into this world. And I begin and that's what I do every single day, because every single day, my mind wants to say, who am I to do this? Who am I to say this? What if this is lame? What if this isn't helpful? What if this is a joke? What if I'm a joke? That's what my mind wants to do. So I interrupt the flow and say, I don't like this show. And I announce myself, my name is Bronwyn and I'm funky, right? And that 
thought pattern of doubt is archetypal, right? It's part of the creative journey. There is no one who's ever made anything that doesn't experience those attacks of self-doubt. And if you don't have a way of asserting yourself as a force of nature, if you don't have a mantra that lets you punch the ground and blast into the stratosphere like Neo in the Matrix, you will never have the mental horsepower required to make something satisfying and new. So I will say to myself, my name is Bronwyn, I'm funky, and it marshals so much strength. I can feel the force of Eminem and Jay-Z and Prince and all the other courageous souls who inspire me and just get it done, right? And if you're thinking, who am I to do that? I'm not the queen or king of anything. That's not how this works. You don't announce yourself because you have achieved. You achieve because you have announced yourself. You got that? Your fierceness and your worthiness is your birthright. And as the Desiderata poem by Max Ehrman says, you are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. Claim it and just get it done. Okay? So that's one strategy. Works in the face of intimidation, fear, or avoidant thoughts. That's your prescription. Okay. So that's one. The second strategy I have is the 543 meditation. You've heard me talk about this meditation if you've listened to this podcast in any depth. And that is a meditation that I use. My mind is just scattered and unsettled and divided and overstimulated, right? And here's how it works. In fact, we're going to do it right now, okay? So wherever you are, I was about to say if you're driving, which most of, I mean, we're not driving right now, but let's say you're doing the dishes. What I want you to do is name five things that you can see. Okay. I'm mentally naming five things I can see. Okay. I've got my five things. Now I want you to name five things you can hear. One of those things is the sound of my voice. What else can you hear? Okay. I've got my five things. What are five things you can feel? I've got my five things. Now you repeat that same exercise, only you take it to four. What are four things you can see? What are four things you can hear? What are four things you can feel? And then you go down to three. And by the time you get done naming on the third round, you're quiet. I mean, I can feel it just in myself having done that micro version. It just calms you down and brings you back to present, which is ideal. (laughs) The only thing better than a positive mind is a present clear mind. And that meditation will deliver you. The third one is what I call the Mr. Rogers meditation. Or frankly, I could call it the Dr. Jeb Berkeley meditation because my beloved therapist of however many years first taught it to me. But there's this wonderful scene in the new Mr. Rogers movie, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks, that uses this meditation marvelously. I highly recommend that movie. And I like to use this one when I feel pinched. I feel like there's not enough time, there's not enough resources, and I feel despair or just completely boxed in and trapped. This one brings me back from the brink. And the way this goes, and you're going to do it with me, is we're going to close our eyes and visualize all of the people who, during the course of our life, have, quote, loved us into being end quote. I want you to close your eyes and for the next 60 seconds, visualize all the people who loved you into being. 
Amazing, isn't it? I just, I feel lit from within when I do that meditation. And you'll notice it has a similar effect as the 543 meditation in that you feel profoundly present, but there's a level of love and peace and comfort that comes with it that I really love and that just really feels good. So that's the third meditation or third technique that I use. Now, the last two (laughs) are kind of like when all else fails. My fourth technique is just exercise, right? Sometimes when it's really bad, guys, those three things don't even work. The mind is just going at such a rapid clip or it's in such a deep, dark place that the only things that will jar it back are moving, just getting out of your head and getting into your body. And I find that a hard exercise is the only way to do that because it's so hard that all my cognition has to go towards doing the thing. So maybe a really hard run or lately I've been love-hating the Tracy Anderson method. It's just so hard and the moves are so complicated that my brain has to go there and leave whatever repetitive loops are happening. And it really helps. But even that sometimes doesn't do it. And for me, the final, when all else fails move I have, the fifth technique is sleeping. (laughs) You know, if I've tried all these things and none of them work, it usually means I need to sleep. It might be one o'clock in the afternoon, it might be 8 p.m. Usually sleep helps overstimulated and overtired brain. It reminds me of another great line from the Desiderata poem that says, quote, many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness, end quote. Things always look different after a good sleep. And sometimes our, our negative repetitive minds are because we're not sleeping well. And, and for some of us, a full interrupted night's sleep isn't possible, maybe because of a new baby, maybe because of menopause, maybe because of the dread and horror of having lost our jobs and not knowing where the next paycheck is going to come from. Those are all real. And they mean that we need to nap. If you can't get a night's sleep, you need to nap. I'm not kidding. Give yourself the space and compassion to sleep because you're not going to solve any of the dire issues facing you unless you've had a little pick-me-up. Trust me on that. And there you have it. That's what I do. Those are my five tricks for interrupt and replace. And as the saying goes, necessity breeds invention, right? I've come up with these things because I had to. You're going to need to come up with things because you have to. You're left alone with your thoughts right now right? And listen, if that's all you have time for today, that's a lot. Go with God. Try these things out. Let me know how it goes. But if you've got a few more minutes, I'll tell you what happened in my life that brought me to my knees, which led me to study the mind and mindfulness. And if you you need to go, thank you for listening and shine on you crazy diamond. But if you have time, huddle up. I developed these skills and techniques because I had to. I mean, I was I was forced to examine my relationship to my thoughts because my mental suffering was what brought me to therapy so many years ago. But I was forced to study meditation about seven years ago because of the situation with my father. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the Sandwich Generation episode from season one, and it will give you all the gory details. But suffice it to say that the dynamic between he and I before his death in 2018 was so difficult 
it nearly consumed my every waking hour and some of my sleeping ones too. I was raising three small kids, trying to grow my business, trying to keep my marriage alive while also managing my father's massively declining health and collapsing personal life. Divorce, bankruptcy, illness, you name it, he had it. He was devastated, mortified, and I was devastated and furious. It was a mess. I was furious because all of us could see this coming and he couldn't. And he just kept making bad choice after bad choice. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. It was, it was a difficult time. And being the only child, I was the only one there to pick up the pieces, to clean the bed sores, to find a good lawyer, right? Thank God I had Sal as my wingman. But that situation brought me to a level of anguish and mental suffering that was so great. Prayer couldn't touch it. Therapy couldn't touch it. And one day in a haze, I wandered into the New Age Universal Connection bookstore on Lincoln Avenue in San Jose, and I was literally like a zombie. I was like dead inside. And I was staring at their bookshelf, and the owner said to me, can I help you find something? And I said, with my dead voice, come to think of it, it's kind of a Kardashian voice. I'm dealing with a situation so heinous, therapy isn't helping, prayer isn't helping. Do you have some kind of magic or voodoo or some shit that you can give me? And just then... The woman turned to a man who was working the register who I hadn't noticed in my fugue state, and that man was named Paul Miller. And she introduced us, and Paul said, look, I don't know, he's British, so he said, I don't know about voodoo or magic, but I can teach you how to meditate. And so we began. And once a week, I would meet with Paul to train my mind. And he called me his paduan, like a Jedi in training, and he gave me the basic set of tools that allowed me to cope and rearrange my relationship with reality. But more often, the tools just allowed me to calm down from the rage, the despair, and the hopelessness I felt. That situation taught me how to return to peace over and over again without the external circumstances changing much. Because sometimes, guys, we're locked in a situation that isn't going to change anytime soon. It just isn't. And so what can we do? rearrange our mind. And then one day, seven years later, my father was gone. He died. And when I think about how painful those last years were with him, part of me really blesses them because my father taught me how to cope at the most extreme levels with the things I feared the most. And teaching me how to cope and create peace and to return to a place of power in a world that seems designed to wreak havoc and disempower is probably the greatest lesson the man ever gave me. And he gave me a lot of great lessons, but that was the most powerful one. And it was born of suffering. And my friend, you may be finding your experience of shelter in place and this pandemic fallout to be colossally painful. And the suffering may seem bottomless, but I want you to know this you can use this suffering to break patterns, to find power reserves that you didn't even know you had. You can treat this time as something precious, like really grueling Jedi training, and this time will not have been wasted. If you can take this time to examine your thoughts like Marie Kondo examines a pile of knickknacks, you will emerge a joy-filled creation an ass-kicking creation. And in order to kick ass, 
you got a clean house because your name may not be Prince, but you are funky. Shine on, you crazy diamond. And if there's someone you love who needs to hear this, share this episode with them. It might make a difference. And I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.